good. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We do thank you for your precious word, for it is here that we're able to make sense of all the suffering that exists in this world. We see that suffering exists because of our sin and our rebellion against you, the only sufficient fount of all our wants and needs and desires. Without your word, we would not see that sin and suffering also exist for your glory. We would not know that it was your will to have crushed Our Lord Jesus, your beloved Son, we would not know that it was his precious soul that would make an offering for our guilt. And now, because of your Son's precious offering, we approach you with holy boldness, regenerated hearts, and consciences that are cleansed by the blood of your Son. With that in mind, we ask that you would give us a spirit of wisdom of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus, that your spirit would illumine our hearts, that we would know the hope you've called us to, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and that 
we would be made to know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power and your resurrection power. And finally, God, we ask that you would comfort us by this reality. Christ is now seated at your right hand, far above all authority, rule and power, and you've placed all things under his feet. So be near, come in power, and in your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. The suffering that exists and takes place in this world is seemingly endless and overwhelmingly diverse. In the midst of this room, it's real, it's tangible. In every seat, there's a certain source of suffering that you may be enduring. And Lord knows if we were to go outside of these doors, perhaps that suffering would immeasurably increase. But I think the Lord has a word for us this morning in the, to get to the meat of it. That word is this. Though there is suffering that exists and is seemingly endless and overwhelmingly diverse, the sufferings of Christ have far surpassed them all. While I believe there's perhaps no one in this room who would disagree with that, I do wonder, however, how thoroughly we understand or even believe that the suffering of the Redeemer far outweighs every drop of the suffering that has existed since Adam and Eve tasted the fruit and sin's corruption cast a thick blanket all over creation. My prayer for us this morning is that God would use Hebrews 12.2 as a catalyst to show us and to convince us of just how glorious the passion of the Redeemer is. And with that in mind, turn with me to our sermon text in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read 1 and 2, but I want us to specifically focus in on verse 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the rates that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Historically speaking, the passion of Jesus refers to the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. The time from his triumphal entry to his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. The term passion simply means suffering or enduring. We get this term from the King James translation of Acts chapter 1 verse 3, which reads... Jesus showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Well, what I want us to see mostly today is that though the passion of the Redeemer, pardon me, what I want us to see today though is that the passion of the Redeemer did not begin on that day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. 
What I want us to see is that the passion of our Redeemer began with his incarnation. What I also would ask God for help in helping us to see that the passion of our Redeemer reached its apex in his crucifixion. So those would be the two points for us this morning. Point one, the passion of our Redeemer began with his incarnation. Hebrews 12.2 plainly tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. In order for us to fully reap the benefits of this verse, we ought to read it through the lens of John chapter 17, verse 5, which reads, Jesus' words, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. We see in the text that Jesus was propelled to the cross by a peculiar thing, the joy that was set before him, which according to John 17, 5, was the entering back into the glory he shared with the Father before the foundation of the world. But let's not pass over this truth that Christ's sufferings in the flesh are rooted, they're rooted in the quality of his eternal person. The fact that Jesus is fully divine and fully man informs me when I say the sufferings of Christ surpasses the sufferings of us all. Jesus, in his incarnation, endured the agonies of perfection wrapped in flesh. What this means is that the sufferings of Christ are given a certain weight which our finite minds just cannot get a grasp on. They're far weightier. They're far immeasurable. They're far more glorious than all that we could imagine. But I want to add a quick note. Pastorally so. Suffering in the flesh for Christ in no way degrades or makes light of the very real and the very painful sufferings of humanity. In fact, it does the opposite. It confirms it. What this truth ought to do is lift up Christ to his rightful place of preeminence in the hearts and minds of his people. What this truth ought to do is bring us to the only source of comfort in this world. And it's this. We do not have a God who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses and sufferings. Rather, we have a God who has become like us in every way, yet is without sin. Believer, when your heart despairs because of this evil and the sufferings of this world take heart. Our Savior has experienced it all. Not only has He experienced it, He has overcome it by the very blood of His own life and the very offering up of His own soul to be the propitiation of our sins. That brings me to point number two. The passion of our Redeemer reached its apex in his crucifixion. Just to reiterate, Hebrews 12, 2 
says that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, endured the cross. Well, what exactly is it that Jesus endured on the cross? It seems that when we talk about Christ's sufferings on the cross, we generally like to divide it into two parts. His physical sufferings, his sufferings on the body, the nails in the hands, the crown of thorns, the piercing to his side, the mockings, the spittings, the pulling of the beard. And then we like to divide it into portion of his atonement, his taking on the wrath that was due us in bearing it all. But Isaiah chapter 52, 13 through chapter 53 paint for us a picture that is overwhelming and perfect and will make up the bulk of the second point, as a matter of fact. Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So, so, pardon me. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. 
He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. What exactly did Jesus endure on the cross? Just like the sufferings of this world, it's seemingly endless. And it's peculiarly varied. Jesus experienced the pinnacle of suffering on the cross, both physically and in his soul. Physically, our Redeemer was beaten to a bloody pulp. The people who looked upon Jesus at the time of his crucifixion were astonished because his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He was wounded, crushed, grieved, deceived, slaughtered. He was oppressed, cut off, deceived, put to anguish, and accounted as wicked. And in his soul, our Redeemer, he offered it up. His guiltless soul, he offered it up to make an offering for our sin. He bore our iniquities. He suffered under the penalty of our sin. He was obliterated under the atom bomb of God's wrath. And his sinless soul satisfied every last drop. He poured out his soul to death, bearing the sin of his people. And praise God, he purchased us from the grips of death and hell and the grave. Our Redeemer offered up Himself the only appropriate purchase price to redeem for Himself a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And truly, we ought to bow at the mention of His name and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is truly worthy of all our worship. And honor and glory and praise. So just as Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, let us be looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who but for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he is now seated At the right hand of the throne of God. And verse 3 starts by saying this. Consider him. And so, let us take the next few moments and do exactly that. Quietly in your seats. With your heart turned towards God. Let's consider Christ.
Him crucified. Him dead and buried. Him resurrected. And Him ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. Pray with me. Father, You're good. There's none like You. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are Your thoughts above our thoughts and Your ways above our ways. But we're asking You now to help us to think Your thoughts and to submit to Your ways.